1: And happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show podcast here for Westwood One powered by CRTV. My name is Steve Dace. This is a Feedback Friday. So we'll be getting to your responses and then we'll respond to you responding to us. In just a matter of moments, first, if you would like to have your feedback responded to on a future uh, Future Feedback Friday podcast. One of three ways you can reach us, steve at stevedace.com, is how you can email us, like us on Facebook, and you can contact us there, or you can follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. Last name again, D-E-A-C-E. Todd and Aaron are here with me. We just wrapped up production for today's CRTV television show. It's the Dace Group Roundtable. Always one of our most fun and popular episodes each week. Make sure you don't miss it. If you're not yet a subscriber to CRTV, CRTV CRTV.com, promo code DACE is how you can get access to CRTV right now and that won't just let you watch our show today but every show we've ever done as well as all the other programming we produce each and every day here at CRTV from Phil Robertson at Duck Dynasty to Michelle Malkin the great one Mark Levin the rest of the team and then there's us CRTV.com promo code DACE you guys ready for some feedback? you know what yeah are we are going to get two more it's than only like good like two though. yeah the problem is when they're really good yeah you know I mean, we could do 10 or 15 of these a week if I just read stuff that people, hey, I really like you guys' show. I appreciate what you're doing. You know, and and every now and then I throw those in. I just think it gets... You know, first of all, you guys know I'm uncomfortable with positive reinforcement to begin with. But secondly, I wonder if it just gets laborious for listeners just to have you go, hey, you guys are great. Moving on. Really enjoy your show. I mean, do people (laughs) want us to read that for 25 minutes?
2: we want us to read that for for 45 minutes. (laughs) How how often do you get like hate mail like Dace I hate your guts? Is that daily? You know what? Because I'm thinking about adding a new Didn't you have on WHO like another satisfied customer? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking about adding that for uh for break content for the T V show.
1: I'm not getting as many as I used to. Dang it. Um sell so out. <laughs> Making everybody happy. That's,
0: that's, Was that because it's all on social media it now? Could,
1: that, that's a part of it. And because people ask me, you know, how come you don't read more tweets on? Twitter is where you get more of that. You suck, and the horse you rode it on, instant kind of reaction, you know? And as, as much as possible, I, I try to save stuff, agree or disagree, that will produce a conversation. a Back and forth. I try to save that for this podcast. But I mean, if you want negative... I could definitely provide it for you, no doubt, right, if I you're think, looking for it, Aaron.
2: I think, it, yeah, I think that would be entertaining.
1: All right. I, well, of course, now that you're requesting it, you know what's going to happen. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Either nobody or everybody. Yeah, I think it's going to be everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be everybody. And then it's going to be people that don't even believe it. They just want to know how original and snotty they can get to get, re- to get noticed, to get recognized. Because yeah. that's what I would do. Even if I, I, I'm like, hey, you're going to highlight me? Let me see how snotty I can get. Just see if I can get it up there. See if I can you know, slip one past the goalie. You can
2: email those to roaststeve at stevedays.com.
1: Let's begin. This is from Faye. Much as I appreciate your optimism and believe you're correct in some of your evaluation of Hollyweird, particularly the part where they know moral stories make money, so they generate them solely to finance their heathen fare, I wanted to parse that a bit further. I spent many years working in film and television with some of the directors, producers you reference in your discussions, and am intimately familiar with their mindset. They see projects that you find moral and good as selling out for a paycheck. And they funnel the money earned from these films to finance baby murder and other nefarious causes. The common saying about us paying for our own demise is deeply apt here. Every time we pay for a movie that reflects our values, we are paying for advancement of everything opposite to those values. They laugh all the way to their local planned slaughterhood clinic. Our money has financed campaigns of some of their worst politicians. The way to combat this is, of course, to generate our own product, and I am encouraged to see that's slowly starting to happen. I look forward to the day that half of the major studios are taken over by conservative management. Perhaps we should all buy stock and vote against every current commie board member. This is about an ongoing conversation we've had with our audience about what is the better approach, like our friend Matt Walsh at, uh, it used to be the blaze, now the Daily Wire has advocated essentially boycotting Hollywood. And I don't have a problem if you want to do that. Go for it. Not like they haven't earned your that level of scorn. Uh, you know, the decision our family made is we're, we'll support stuff that advocates values and things we agree with, and we won't that that does not. Recognizing that they will, at some point, if those films are successful, and always the stuff that affirms our values is always what's the most successful, they will use that, as Faye adequately points out, to go ahead and put forth the sorts of films and the entertainment that they prefer. But... Well, The other thing to keep in mind though, the stuff we like cost a lot more money to make. Like a torture porn horror film can be made for pennies on the dollar. Budget, special effects, you get no nothings in the cast, young, you know, actors and actresses, you know, like Kevin Bacon. You know where it like when Kevin Bacon struggled in Hollywood after Animal House. And so do you know what like his next major movie was? Fr- the original Friday the thirteenth, guys. So there's a there's a reason, like there's a reason why The Rock, my kids were watching old reruns of Hannah Montana yesterday, which is a hard watch. Because we loved that show. It was at its zenith when Anna was at that age, our oldest. And now Zoe is Zoe and Noah are watching the reruns. And it's a hard watch knowing what's become of her, the freak show that Miley Cyrus has become. And you see, like, no hints of it on this show at all. But the episode our kids were, wa- was, were watching yesterday, The Rock did a cameo on. Rock's not doing cameos on Hannah Montana anymore, guys. I mean, I think... <clears throat> I think he... Was, was he the star last year whose movies made the most money because of the well, yeah, success thinkable. of Jumanji? Yep. Yeah. So... You can make a torture porn horror film for budget promotion everything 10 20 30 million. That's why they keep making all those movies. Cuz they they make all kinds of profit. The profit margin is higher cuz the the costs are lower. Do you know whose films cost a lot of money to make? ours do. You know, a movie like Wonder which I thought was the best movie I saw last year, it doesn't cost much except for Julia Roberts' salary, probably. But do you know what it costs to make to turn Malthusian ethics and Margaret Sanger into the villain of Infinity War? It, that movie costs like a half a billion to make that movie. You know what it costs to make Lord of the Rings? So yeah, they're they're clearly putting some of those profits back into ide- ideologies they prefer. But they have to spend a lot more money. Those Pixar animated films, you guys know why it takes three to four years to make them? They're expensive. So they spend a lot of money making our stuff too. But again, I don't have a problem if you're one of those people that's like, I'm tapping out, I'm not doing any of this, and we're going to read books. I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I don't. It's not like they haven't gone out of their way to alienate you as often as possible. You have some thoughts on this thought?
0: Well, you know, you, you were talking yesterday about uh, Halloween, mm-hmm. and this and, and there's also um, a lot of uh, Christians often come down totally on you know never watching the television because it's the devil's box. You know, it, 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 the golden mean can apply to this thing we we need not go totally in the opposite direction there are uh should we be uh wise as serpents in our choices uh steve you talk all the time about um you need to um always be conscientious of a situation you might you have to think several steps ahead about how you might be viewed in public if you're in a certain movie or something like that Mm -hmm. well everybody should kind of be thinking along those lines, not, I mean, not necessarily who is seeing you because they're not public, but I mean, yeah, uh, we, we're all being weighed and measured with all of our choices, uh, but watching, as you, I mean, your kids watched Hannah Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're pretty serious also about your kids' uh, salvation. Uh, um, if anybody's paying attention to the show, is uh, surmised, uh, mm-hmm. that's true, uh, as am I. Uh, I don't. I I think we turn into. Uh, and I thought you you had a very reasonable, well thought out letter, but a lot of people turn into church lady characters by just hating all things um, popular culture. I just don't think that's the way to go.
1: It, I don't. I wouldn't say that. That's never a way to go, right? we all would agree a culture can get to the point that you know Jesus says when you see the abomination of desolation what do you do sure. right don't don't sit there you know the jews were right not to sit there and debate whether or not antiochus Epiphanes slaughtering a pig on the altar to on, on an altar to zeus inside the holy of holies of the temple was was a pop culture redeemable act or not. <laughs> right they, got, they called that one right, okay? They said, we can't abide this. We can't inhabit this. We are not sharing oxygen with this act. They, that was the right call, okay? A culture can devolve to a point that you can't yeah. make any accommodation with it. We're not arguing. So let's state that now. Right,
0: but her argument is basically saying you should not go see
1: Infinity War. I didn't take it. I take her argument as I should be more sensitive to the view. Or I think her concern is that... Um, I don't allow my enjoyment for certain sectors of pop culture to dull my senses to the larger viewpoint, and I don't disagree with that. And and we all have we all have our built-in biases. You know, we have a, we all is it nature or nurture? Yes, we have, we all have a sin in nature. We're born with it. That's why no parent, unless their child has a disability. You know, barring that, no parent has ever had to teach their child how to say no or mine. They've never had to teach that. No parent has to teach selfishness. No parent has to teach disobedience. That beautiful little princess you see there at the mall, if, if she doesn't get her way, she's going to start bawling and throwing a fit because she's a little sinner. Now, the way that that nature manifests itself can be impacted by our nurturing greatly. That's probably the greatest impact, actually. Greatest influence on it. And so, what our audience should know about me, I didn't become a Christian until I was 30 years old. One of the reasons why you get a very unique mixture of pop culture minutia, theology, politics, history, and sports is because until I was thirty years old, one of these things was not like the other. I lived in every arena other than the theological one, for the most part, and that probably makes me one more tolerant of a certain level of pop culture um, debauchery because I it's my native habitat, and two, it also makes me more sensitive. To the influence it has within our culture, and why I have such a desire for us to attempt to use it when we can as a redeemable platform. Because I didn't grow up in a Christian house. We didn't go to church when I was a kid. We went C E sometimes. You know, my my church was the boob tube, like most Americans. And so I'm sensitive to just saying to the, uh, the uh, demonic horde, you guys go ahead and take that. It's all yours. We'll be over here doing I don't know what. You know, saying, Lord, I lift your name on high with nobody listening. I'm kind of sensitive to that. But I can't allow that sensitivity to soften me at the same time. Just as if you come from a background opposite of mine. And you did grow up in a Christian home. And pop culture really wasn't a part of your upbringing. And you and your... I know all kinds of homeschooling families that they can sit around the dinner table talking Chaucer. And, you know, Prisoners of Catan is, you know, their family movie night. Great. But I also don't want... Just as I can't let my pre-existing affinity for pop culture and therefore my desire to see us try to redeem some of it because of how much influence it had for people like me for 30 years in my life i can't allow that to then get me to accept things i know are wrong because I, i still want to have access to it if you came from a more religious devout background just because you don't have the desire to connect to that world, you can't also let that cause you to just turn your backs on all the people that are in it either. It's a, To me, it's a mission field, like any other. And there have been plenty of times on our show where we have said no. There's under no conditions will I go pay for that. I won't do that. You're clearly trying to insult me. When Anna was just in her teenage years, is when Darren Aronofsky, the militant atheist, his version of Noah came out. And I had actually written a column about Noah and what the movie really was for the Washington Times at the time. And I had talked to several people at the National Religious Broadcasters who were given a special screening of the movie before it came out. And they gave me the what's up, that this is a polemic. So I took my 14-year-old daughter to it. I think she was 13 at the time. And, you know, Steve, why would you take her to a movie that you knew up front was meant to deconstruct the belief system you were homeschooling her to get her to, to to try and introduce her to? I did it exactly for that reason. Obviously, I made sure there wasn't any lewd sexuality or anything of that in the movie. And there wasn't. So I, I, she needed to be tested. I needed to find out. I needed to know where is she really at? because you know she's getting to that age where just doing things to please mom and dad didn't mean as much as it did when you're seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old and we were 20 minutes into that movie and she turned to me and said I want to walk out of here that was one of the proudest moments I've ever had as a dad because <laughs> I had no idea how it was going to turn out guys I didn't know if we were going to walk out of there and Anna was going to look at me and say yeah I thought those rock creatures special effects could have been a little better But the fact that she was just like, hell no. Not even, well, I guess that's okay. I wouldn't have done it. No, she was like, hell no, not doing this. You know, so I think it's a stewardship issue. I'd be fascinated, Aaron, when you eventually get married and have kids, because you come from a dramatically different background than I did. Mm Mm-hmm and I will be fascinated to see how you kind of handle this with your own family because it's been a real challenge for us because both Amy and I became Christians later in life and so we came in with all this built-in pop culture background and so our challenge has been trying to have, we had, I I won't out them, we had one family we used to be really close to when we first started homeschooling and they were a homeschooling family and they were really upset that we let our kids watch Harry Potter I mean, they knew it was make-believe, guys. They were really upset that we let our kids watch Hannah Montana. When you say upset, because this is what I'm fascinated by. Yes. Define
0: what you mean by, like, they just became uncomfortable not, in yeah, your friendship?
1: They, they or? thought we should not let our children be exposed to those things. By the way, that family's divorced now. Hmm. Hmm. And has essentially fallen apart. So, I don't know that it's a simple... Now... I'm not saying they're divorced and fell apart because their kids didn't watch Hannah Montana or they didn't let them watch Harry Potter. My point is, we often judge whether something is spiritually sound by the external consequences as opposed to the internal influence or motivations. I have said to every Christian school, of every Christian high school, high school group I've ever spoken to, I've said this to their faces. If your parents have you in this school so that you won't get drunk, you won't get stoned, you won't smoke, and you won't get laid like the pagan kids at the public school do, you're going to fail. You're in here for all the wrong reasons. Knowing that there's a portion of those kids that are in this school specifically for that. Their parents believe they're doing spiritual transformation. They're really doing behavior modification. And I can, and I, you know, I I didn't grow up in West Des Moines, so I don't know what the parties are like for the kids at Dowling. Let me tell you where I grew up The Christian school kids always had the best parties, bro. Let me just tell you that right now. Parents always had money. That's how they could afford the extra school. And they always had the best parties. And so if the beginning of the argument is the external action and behavior, as opposed to the internal motivations, that argument's going to fail. And so they were all worked, this family was all worked up about letting our kids watch Hannah Montana. Maybe if they had spent as much time investing in one another as they did monitoring every last thing people were the kids were watching on the Disney Channel, maybe they, wouldn't, maybe they wouldn't have ended up the way that they did. It's not a simple formula. Putting your kids in a bubble and giving your kids access to everything won't work just because you committed this action. What's the motivation behind it? Do you have a relationship with your kids? Those are the real keys. Aaron, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, these are these are these are waters that can be hard to navigate, but it doesn't have to be if you're really doing your job as a parent in teaching your kids not what to think, um, but teaching them how to think and as long as you're I, I, I get I, I'm not a parent so I get really uh, uncomfortable talking about this because I don't have kids yet um, so all of this is just kind of me talking out of my butt but you've been
1: you've been a kid raised right. in a diff, in, in this sort of homeschool environment
2: yeah 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 no and and um, there is there is a line. Um, I, I, I think um, if if your kids are, uh, th- I don't. There's there's some innocence to protect mm-hmm. as long as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as when they start having questions, uh, if you're doing your job as a parent right, you should be able to be the one to give them answers. Right. And when they start asking certain questions, you should be able to. Uh, I don't want to say expose because that sounds that has some negative connotations but you should be able to start to expose them gradually to to things um in the world and the way people think about things um you should be the one doing that as a parent it is never ever good to leave a a child and i've seen them around me um sheltered To keep things from them when they really should be learning uh, about the way the world works. Because you go out, you you toss them out, and you're tossing basically um, a a sheep to the wolves. Mm -hmm. And pop culture is one way that you can um, maybe gradually expose them in a way that is not um, harming their innocence when they're young. But when they're older, also forces them to think through the way the world works. Without just doing it in some sort of um, nebula or nebulous uh, sort of context, so it is. They it can be tricky things to navigate, but I would always say that it is never ever good to leave a kid sheltered until they leave the home, uh, because obviously when they leave the home, unless they're a runaway, uh, they're going to be an adult. And when you're tossing an adult out who has not, who, not been taught how to think and has not been exposed in some ways, while they're still protected, not, not sheltered, but protected from all the, the vast extent of what the world does and how they think, that will be disastrous because I've, I've seen that with my own eyes. You've seen that as well, I'm sure, mm-hmm. Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a way to shepherd them and I'll figure that out I guess as I go along and have my own kids but yeah don't don't shelter
1: and it'll be yeah and, and make sure we don't conflate sheltering with protection and that's the right. point that you were yeah. trying to make there yeah and sometimes and, and if you have multiple kids they're not all the same either a blanket i mean there's Absolutely. there's cert, there are certain uniforms rights and wrongs that can't be disobeyed right but beyond that you know different kids you relate to john wooden maybe the most successful leader of men Outside of the military and politics in modern American history, what he did it what he did at UCLA, and he did it as this straight-laced Indiana Christian guy on a liberal college campus with protest movements, and you know a guy one of his star players converts to the nation is is, is converting to the nation of Islam. Another one of his star players is literally a stoner hippie deadhead and still is in his 70s. Bill Walton. And yet, somehow, this guy took all of these disparate belief systems and players of different backgrounds, put them together, and had arguably the most successful run any coach in any sport, any American team sport has ever had. And when they asked him the secret to his success, you know what he said? He gave several of them, but one of them that really stands out that pertains to this conversation. He said, I learned the greatest way to show partiality was to treat every player equally. He said, we had a system, we had expectations, But not everybody has the same beliefs, the same gifts, the same skills, comes from the same background. They're not all. They're not all equal in terms of expectations. They're not all the same. Some kids are going to struggle to get eligible. And you know what? And to stay eligible, UCLA is a very elite public university. And so for those kids, man, we're working hard to make sure they stay eligible. Then when I had a kid with a genius IQ, that wasn't going to be good enough. I mean, I want to see him on the dean's list. And so when you have multiple kids, you you have to you can't, as Todd likes to say, you cannot paint by numbers. Let me give you one example we had with the two youngest children. Our The two youngest children really got it, just Zoe and Noah, and Noah liked it too, even though it was, you know... It was called Once Upon a Time, but there was a lot of cool action and stuff in there. You know you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I was so going to bring it up myself. This was a Sunday night staple in our home. Yep. I never watched an episode, though, because Sunday nights for me are, I have a sports podcast I do, and that's when I've got to get a lot of the prep work done for the show for the week so we stay on target the rest of the week. Okay, So the way Sundays work at our house is we have church. We may or may not go to a movie um, or have family movie night at the home, have dinner. And then Sunday nights, everybody kind of does whatever they're free with because I need to get some work done um, in order to make sure we're ready for the rest of the week. And for several years in our home, Once Upon a Time was must-see TV, so I'd be on my desk in the kitchen working, and they'd be in the family room watching it.
2: Oh, yeah. Alyssa and I are, uh, are working our way through that.
1: Okay. Well, I hope I'm not about to spoil something. Oh, boy. All right. So, I don't know. Was it season three, season four? Because I think they're on like season six or seven now, right? Yeah, okay. I, but I don't know what you're going. So season three or season four, they introduce a lesbian character. Yeah. It's even later than that. Is it later than that? Okay. Yeah. And 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 by doing it later than that, now you're like really invested in these characters. Yeah. You spent years with them on a Sunday night. You've watched them grow, mature, the storylines evolve. You know, you're and and I mean, Sunday nights or Monday mornings in our home it, had conversations about Once Upon a Time every week. Now I, I would not participate I didn't know but I mean they, they loved this show like I used to love like Lost or the Battlestar Galactica reboot they loved it and when I read from Parents Television Council that they were going to introduce this character Amy and I talked about it and she's like you know I'll, I'll leave I'll leave the decision to you translation <laughs> hey this is one time I don't mind you being the head of the home you can be the bad guy and you know what I decided to do I decided I was going to do nothing. I was going to... Well, I decided I wasn't going to do anything at first. Because I sort of viewed this as the system is setting... They're setting up dads like me. They're setting us up to be that guy. You know what I'm saying? Right away. Right away. I go in right away, I take, I, I'm being set up to take something away from them that up until this point has 100% been wholesome and within our value system, and now they're going to reduce it to, say, 90 to 85% of it. And I'm going to be, the, they're setting me up to go in there and to make it look like I'm not with the times, I don't understand what's going on, I. There, this is where it's a trap, is how I felt.
2: They put in a poison pill.
1: Yes, so I said you know what I want to see how my own I'm going to see how my own kids respond so I'm going to say I told Amy I'm going to say nothing watch the show as you guys normally would and you know what happened after a few weeks they weren't watching the show anymore I was flipping through the guide just a few days ago and saw that it's still on but it's on like Friday nights now is that right or something and whenever a show gets moved to Friday nights that's always when you know it's like at the the very end yeah it's pretty much done it's at least watch night and television And I'm like, hey, you guys aren't, I had even forgotten about it. I forgot about the controversy and everything. And I said, and we were all sitting in the family room. You guys aren't watching? No, it just wasn't the same. We kind of gave up on it. I kind of smiled at myself and I said, yeah. Chalk went up for the old dad there, devil. I got you on that one, didn't I? Thought you were going to outsmart me. But I saw the trap. I knew what you were doing. Take something real wholesome, take something that has cherished tradition behind it, that spans generations, drop, as Aaron said, a poison pill, and then make every dad who still cares in America, which admittedly ain't many probably, but every dad who still cares in America like me, make me out to be the bad guy. And that's why they can't watch Snow White and Prince Charming fall in love anymore. I can't watch Stillskin get redeemed. I guess I overheard a little bit more about what was going on in this show than I thought from the other room. All right. Nope. I realized the only way to win this game was not to play. In this instance, this isn't a blanket cardinal rule. I just talked. I'm talking about this instance, and this goes to being wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove.s we, I don't know those of you listening. I'm not saying follow my game plan. I don't know your kids. I don't know your family. I don't live there. I live here with mine. My job as the father and the husband and the leader of this home is to know my kids and my family. And since my kids are like me, to varying degrees, they don't conform easily. They're not not big joiners, all right? And they won't just take, because I said so without an explanation, after about the age of five, doesn't work if you've got Steve Dace's DNA coursing through your veins you better have an apologetic ready better have a reason why so I decided the wife's there I trusted her with making my babies I trusted her with birthing my babies I'll trust her with sitting there watching the show if it gets way out of hand she'll pull the plug other than that though I'm not falling for the trap. I'm not gonna walk in there, be that dad that they're then jumping on their group text complaining to their friends about. I'm not gonna do that. I'm being set up to fail. I'm not playing along. And lo and behold, the show just went away on its own. They realized on their own, they, there was no point to this storyline. It wasn't adding anything to what the overall narrative of the show was. They were just trying to toxify something everybody enjoyed as a family. And they just decided, I remember I said they're not, they don't conform easy. They're not easy joiners because they got my DNA. You know what that also means? They don't like being scammed. My kids don't like being scammed. And they could, they could smell this was a scam. That this didn't start out some show about sexual exploration. They could tell someone was peeing on them and telling them it was raining. So you know what they did? They tapped out on their own. And I didn't have to be the bad guy, I didn't fall for it. And I have no idea what the scorecard is between me and hell. But that went in my ledger. I won that one. How you like me now? I figured out the game. Now, it might be different for you as a dad and mom in your home. I'm just saying, though, we need to be this relatable with our children to know. Got to know when to hold a man and know when to fold him. When in doubt, listen to Kenny Rogers. Listen to Kenny. Listen to Kenny. Know when to hold him and know when to fold him. If you hold them all the time, your kids, you will lose your kids to pop culture. And you know what? If you fold them all the time, you will lose your kids to pop culture too. Agreed. I love this conversation. I think we need to have it as often as we can. Wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Come now, let us reason together. So many of you listening have families like we, Todd and I do, or you want to have families like Aaron does. And, man, we either hang together or we're going to hang separately. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. I think think we need to be willing to have these conversations out in the open with one another because we're pretty much the only support system one another has. So you can't email us and ask us about these sorts of moral dilemmas with pop culture and your families. As far as I'm concerned, we can't talk about that enough because that's really the battle. That is ground zero of the battle right there. I had, I had a dad come to me recent, just this week, send me an email, caught his son with pornography on his phone. And wanted to know, given my own experience, and he asked my wife for my wife's expertise because this is what she deals with all the time. And we both said the first thing right away, do not introduce shame into your discipline. Think 10, 15 years ahead. When he's married... And you'd like that marriage to work. And I can promise you, if at this nascent stage of his sexuality, if you introduce shame into his sexual expression, his sexual acknowledgement, realization, now, it will pay negative consequences down the road when he's married. And he needs to live a life that Paul says, the husband's body does not belong to him but the wife, and the wife's body does not belong to hers but the husband's. And you need one another to to save one. You need one another's bodies to deter yourselves from falling into temptation. But introduce shame into all of this now. Now, I didn't say don't discipline him. Shame is not disciplining. In Hebrews, it says the writer of Hebrews. We think Paul wrote it. It sounds like him. But if he did, it's the only book he wrote where he didn't make sure you knew it was written by Paul in the first three sentences. Okay? But what does the writer of hebrews say jesus went to the cross despising the shame the shame of what the shame of sin the shame sin brings last verse in the bible before adam and eve sin they were naked in the garden and they had no what shame that's why I bristle when i hear old timers say we have a shameless culture i mean i know what you mean by that We've sort of lost our cultural barriers where people just don't do things because they didn't want to bring shame upon themselves and their families. And there's a, the, I understand that there's a, in an earthly context, there can be a healthy barrier, societal barrier with that. But as believers, we need to be very careful. Shame is the enemy's weapon. That's what he wants. Now, that's not being, that's not the same as I'm ashamed of what I have done, but shaming people ask the Puritans if that works they were right about a lot not this didn't work stockades those sorts of things they don't work scarlet letters don't work and if you throw the shame on his sexuality at this stage the enemy comes in and says well since you've already screwed this up you must well just keep going right I mean look everybody everybody's shaming you everybody's ashamed of you You couldn't possibly be redeemed from this. You couldn't stop doing this. So just keep doing it. Trust me, I know, man. I've walked this road since I was his son's age to the day I live right now. I walk this road all the time. And so I I think we should have these sorts of conversations about what's going on in our families. And I'm happy to tell you when I've blown it and it hasn't worked. Because there's been plenty of those opportunities too. My, you know, Anna has seen me from the time she was little on a knee in front of her saying, I should not have spoken to your mom like that. Totally lost my temper. I sinned against you, her, God. Please forgive me. So I think we probably can't sort of be there for one another on this topic enough because it's ground zero what's going on in our homes that's ground zero right there enemy knows if he can take that ground Washington DC your state capitol building your public school classrooms a cakewalk bro cakewalk that's that's the king on the chessboard right there that's checkmate when they take the home that's the checkmate move Terry O'Mara says, really enjoy you guys' this Theology Thursday podcast. If you have any suggestions for books to read about biblical characters, understanding them with their flaws, their attributes, I'll recommend one. I don't know if you guys have one you want to recommend, but a few years ago, John MacArthur wrote a book called 12 Ordinary Men. Yep. Highly would recommend that. or I would recommend it highly, I think it's the proper grammar. And one of the things, and as a Catholic, you'll probably appreciate this, Todd, one of the things that blew me away, that has stuck with me about reading that book several years later, is he talks about in the in the Gospels that when Peter, when 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 you there's a pattern that MacArthur points out that you that, I don't I don't know if it's perfect but he says it happens frequently when Peter does not live up to the calling God has played that Jesus has placed on his life he still refers to him as Simon or Simon Peter. And when he is ma- taking the steps to fulfill the calling that God has placed on his life is when he calls him by the, na- the new name that he gave him, Cephas or Peter. And that just, at the time I read that, dude, I was like, just blew my mind. Because you see this pattern repeatedly. Abram and Sarai become Abraham and Sarah. Um, Jacob becomes Israel. When, when God has initiated a transformation in somebody's life, a whole new name to show they have an entirely different identity. So that's a book I would highly recommend. And Aaron, you, you're seconding that one.
2: Yeah, that was going to be the one that I uh, that I uh, recommended as well. Um, uh, MacArthur, I think he's he's one of the more trustworthy. You don't want to implicitly trust any teacher just because. You go down that road, but uh, MacArthur is one of the most trustworthy. Yeah, uh, I
1: disagree with MacArthur on a couple things. Yeah,
2: one of the most trustworthy Bible teachers I think you'll find, and that book is no different.
0: Uh, I think, uh, you know, for those on the Protestant side who uh, have issues with uh, saints, uh, theologically speaking, I think it would help that issue if you just read... Stories about the saints uh, in general, uh, their bios, and I, I think it it would help um, bridge the gap on particular uh, theological issues because they tell paint a lot of the same uh, storytelling that you just alluded to in in uh, this book by and who again by John, John
1: MacArthur MacArthur yeah. Okay. I think, and we won't get into this now because that would be a whole other podcast, but it might be a conversation worthy of us having in the future since you since you went there. Speaking for a lot of Protestants I know, I think the issue with saints is not acknowledging their extraordinary contributions to the church and to the faith and their virtue, their character, their martyr, the the suffering, the witness. I don't think that's the issue. I don't know what you think, Aaron. I think where a lot of Protestants get confused is I have a direct relationship with the most powerful being in the universe. His spirit lives inside of me. So, is it St. Christopher's the patron saint of travel or something, I believe, right? Or some, Isn't that who it is? Yeah. I think There's it is. There's a lot of saints. So I, well, I mean. There is, but I think St. Christopher's the patron saint of travel. All right? I could be wrong, but I think that's right before i take my family on a cross country trip why pray to st christopher when i can just talk to this you know sovereign being of the universe that is in total control of history and how it unfolds whether it unfolds at all whether it will culminate when it will culminate why wouldn't i just talk to in other words let's just cut out the middleman here mm. why don't i just go directly to the source you know i you know i run our business i run the company you guys work for I've had to do several different negotiations. I tend to want to talk to the person who ultimately can be the one that says yes or no, you know. Um, I, why, I think that's where a lot of Protestants are like, dude, Mother Teresa, we don't care if you name a church after her. She was pretty dope, okay? But why pray to a saint when I can just pray to the guy with, that gives the yes or the no, the, the one who's in charge? Mm-hmm. That's where a lot of Protestants, would you agree with that, Aaron? Like, oh, yeah, yeah social media actually helps answer that
0: question though d- d- does any protestant find it remotely odd or uh, not biblically based when somebody reaches out and says i've got this going on in my life will you please pray for me what do you mean it happens all the time I, I, i've
1: oh having other people pray, yeah, pray. for you will you but, pray for me but
0: it's different to have. Well, go, why pray? aren't you going directly to god
2: no, you're not praying to two, someone. but you're praying, you're praying for. You're petitioning different, to God. Different preposition. On behalf of someone. Yeah, no, four why, of why two. do you
0: why do you need to reach out and ask anybody to pray for you? Go directly to
1: God. Oh, I see what okay, you're saying. Okay, I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think see, I don't have any, I don't even see what the issue is in asking St. Christopher pray for me on this trip. Yeah. But praying to St. Christopher to protect me on this trip. St. Christopher, will you pray for me, with me, that God will protect us on this trip? Do you see that? I think there's a... See, I see a distinction Two and a four, difference. Two and four is a different preposition. Meaning, if I go to St. Christopher, I'm petitioning him for the outcome. If I'm praying to him. If I'm asking him to pray for me, then we are in agreement that God is the ultimate authority of who determines the outcome. But again, that's probably a a whole other show. I just I'm, I, I you guess went there, I would, so I just thought I've yeah, always wanted to have I, this conversation. I guess I would
2: say where where is it condemned in the Bible?
1: Where's what condemned?
2: What you just posited?
1: Praying to saints? No,
2: uh, no, uh, praying to God for someone else.
1: Oh he, well, Todd would say no. Oh right. Oh okay. No. What he's saying is he doesn't see the difference. Oh, gotcha. Okay. What what I think that there's a difference though between praying, asking 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 a saint in heaven. Right? Because doesn't the New Testament tells us that Christ is there petitioning for us mm-hmm. at the right hand of God, right? Okay. I don't have a problem then with I don't know that there's a theological issue with asking someone that is sitting next to Christ as he is petitioning on our behalf to further get his petition for us. I don't have a problem theologically with that. The question I have is why would I ask the guy who really can't alter the outcome to alter the outcome? Like when I ask someone on social media, hey, I'm going through a tough time, pray for me. I don't, but you know, if I ask if if I, if I ask you two to pray for me because we're having a tough time at home I'm not Todd, dear, dear Todd, can you change, can you make things right at my home? That's different than asking you to, well, can you come alongside and ask God to intervene to make yeah, things better yeah, well, at home?
0: That, I think that, bring, in no way do Catholics believe that. But prayer is ultimately communing with God, right? hmm Well, if we can commune with God and commune effectively here, when we see through a glass darkly, what must prayer be like between those in heaven and God? I don't disagree with that. I know. I'm just right. saying, but I I no I don't one. Have a problem I, I finally got what you were saying. No one believes that the yeah. saints or, have yeah. the power
1: of God. A lot of Protestants believe you Catholics do believe that. Yeah. We don't. And a lot of that comes from what they see say, depicted in movies and television. Well, when they see the guy rubbing the rosary on his on his on his rearview mirror, you know, "Saint Christopher protect me as I travel down this dimly lit road where there's well, a monster at the end." Yeah, Well, okay, we, we, but there's we talk
2: a- about in our minds it's praying to God, the ultimate creator, all-powerful being of the universe. And so when we hear someone say we're going to pray to something, we think, "Well, that can't be true because that's something Thing is not god and oh. so it's easy to conflate
0: we're them. praying to them to pray for us and we say saint christopher uh, uh protect me again that that is uh through relying the awesome power of a prayer that must exist between god and those in heaven but we're not acting on them to be superheroes in our you know with, with whatever
1: laser beams they have i'll tell you there's somebody you and i both know i won't out him I once asked this question, him and I got to be good enough friends that I felt it was okay to start asking some of these questions and I haven't get offended, you know? And he's like, well, you know, God's got a lot of other things going on and, you know, this is sort of this, he basically told me this is sort of the support staff. (laughs) And I'm like, now, I'm like, so Catholics don't believe in the omniscience of God? They don't believe in the omnipresence of God? And I thought, I don't think that's true, so I decided to ask him any more questions. (laughs) So I didn't ask him any more questions after that because I'm like, I, I don't think that's. I'm not sure that's what you guys believe. Oh. God's preoccupied, so he sent his administrative assistant in. So here's here's Sister Tess to handle your domestic disturbance because God's working over and he's he's busy he's preoccupied oh. with the Middle East right now. Um yeah sorry about that on behalf of the tribe okay Um, and listen I I get what goes on a lot of Christian television so feel free to ask us any crazy evangelical stereotype questions you have because Lord knows we will make fun of them we will probably join you in making fun of them no doubt Um, I want to end with this because I think it's a good word Uh, this is from Fern Love thank you guys for your voice for speaking truth and not sidestepping it Keep up the good work. The last week's Theology or May 3rd's Theology Thursday especially was an excellent teaching lesson. Since twenty sixteen in the primary, when Ted Cruz bowed out, I've intended to email you and thank you for giving your all to Ted's campaign. I have no answers. I'm not perfect. Nobody is. President Trump has done some good things, although I did not vote for him in the general, and Senator Ted Cruz continues to represent our state. Who we elect is a reflection of who we are as a society. There are consequences to our actions. I pray we can endure them and remember that God is in control. That, nice. Yep. I can't say any better than that. Yep. That's that fern is an excellent summation of how we've tried to do this show since the people had their say in 2000 in November of 2016. And I'm glad I didn't think of it because I have to fill multiple hours of airtime every day so I could come up with other different angles. And this just says it so succinctly and so perfectly that after you say it one time, you're kind of like, okay, we're done here. Final thoughts, Todd.
0: Well, my thought uh, about that last email is the same thought uh, as the discussion we just had about uh, saints. Uh, With all of the potential... For grenades to go off there's a reason they didn't in our discussion in this room and there's a reason with all of the various inputs Cruz, trump um the, the culture uh with that email but ultimately both um the email and the discussion ended in peace because ultimately on our best days we are at peace with the fact that the victory is already at hand. We have a king. He is sovereign. He is in heaven, and that no matter how many bullets you fire at us, ultimately we remember, like in that uh, last scene in, uh, in the Matrix, and this is perfect because I'm going pop culture based on where we started this. When you know all of the uh, the kind of the fighting and stuff, he just holds up his hand, and the bullets stop, and they fall to the ground because. If if you have that, you have everything. There is no power, no principality, no darkness uh, that uh, can break you. It can do a lot of things. It can hurt you. Uh, It it, it can uh, create deep levels of sadness, but it cannot... Take away your hope because you understand the victory is at hand. That's why we can have the conversations we have time and time again on this show. Because be not afraid, Aaron.
2: Yeah. The the um, the key is uh, this is this is very general, but it is uh, I, I think it is absolute truth. Uh, we have to remember that each one of our lives and livelihoods. Uh, Our actions, our thoughts, our words, all our purpose is to glorify God and all of that. And so no matter what disagreements we may have uh, or the way we see things differently, if we who claim the name of Jesus Christ remember that our purpose is to glorify God and keep that as our motivation for doing and saying and acting the way that we that we do I think that we will be just fine as long as those are our motivations and that is that is our sole motivation to glorify God now how that happens um, that that that's that is for each one of us individually to work out hopefully together um so you just stated a little bit ago wisdom and multitude of counsel um But keeping that before us as we go on each step, that is, I think, where our hearts need to be.
1: And as you once pointed out, stay out of the ditch. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Next week, I'm going to try to stay out of a ravine. I'm driving a big truck through the mountains.
1: Everybody, have a great weekend. Thanks for tuning in here today on our podcast. I just decided to let that...
2: Just left me hanging out. I there. I did, yeah. I yeah. just decided to. Yeah, appreciate that.
1: I got your back. Yeah, except that time. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> maybe. Most of the time. Uh, anyway, John three seventeen.
0: This is Steve Dace. I like you.